So it's been another great week at IVM podcast and if you aren't following us on social media please make sure you do we're IVM podcast on Twitter Facebook Instagram all the major social media networks this week on the pragati podcast pavan and humsni talked to economist anupam manohar about how india is tackling creating new jobs on the pulia bazi show tune into part 2 of pranay's interview with china expert manoj kevel ramani on simplified in a shorty shrikesh chak and narin give interesting tidbits about the qualifying round of the 2018 world cup on cyrus says this week cyrus has a conversation with friend of the network vivek call about the economy On Who's Your Mommy, Veda and her friends discuss the strange and disturbing questions they've been asked by their kids. On Keeping It Queer, Naveen talks to non-binary Instagram sensation Dan Rebello. On Vartha Lab last week, Akash and Naveen exchanged some hilarious stories with Balraj Gai, owner of the Hotel Intercontinental and The Habitat. And with that, let me get you on to your shows. When I say TED Fellow, Yale World Fellow, Scholar at MIT, Startup Entrepreneur, Top Executive in... a uh, large corporate uh someone who has written books been featured on shows has you know done all kinds of advocacy has worked with the united nations you forgot sex mom uh, of course uh, i forgot that uh, i'm not talking of a mythical character this person actually exists and this person is none other than a very dear friend of mine parmesh tahani he is the leading voice for the lgbt community in india and the world but more importantly we were just recalling this parmesh we know each other now for 20 years 1998 is when we first <laughs> met which was almost when we were both like in our early 20s and you haven't changed you're still wearing the the sexy red t-shirt <laughs> well i i'm glad you think it is sexy so uh, so this was like the, your first startup right fresh lime soda so let's talk let everybody know about this startup of yours um it was a long time ago uh it was the early age of the internet i actually even before that remembering i remember going to vijay mukhi's house and yeah, vijay mukhi uh, the great man he the great vijay passed, mukhi passed, going yeah. to his home going to shami kapoor ji's home so there yeah, the the internet association and they had they had created this internet and going there and then them sharing the internet with me and you know the day of dial ups and the choon choon noise would yeah. come and then everyone would be so excited and because of going and there was this meeting these two happen in the vsnl office Correct. the Remember? internet yeah. uh, users club of india iuci 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 i was a member of iuci yep. too um, yeah. so was i so i mean those were very early days and it was we no one knew of course at that time so fresh lime soda came about not by any great sense of design but very much by accident it wasn't just me it was me in in collaboration with a whole bunch of incredible individuals who are all um doing amazing things right now so when i look back uh i look back at you know it was very unique for its time it was a combination of an online magazine and community um i think of it as facebook pre facebook <laughs> i think of it as the kind of conversations that were happening When on Zuckerberg our bulletin boards when zuckerberg was boards. 10 years old or whatever correct yeah. <laughs> right uh it's pre twitter it's a curated magazine uh pre instagram in terms of the kind of art and the poetry and the things that was that were on it but more important it was a space where young indians finally could um uh could 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 create for themselves um with pride and talk about and you know indian themes indian ideas so it was uh, 
wonderful moment. I mean, I look back with great fondness. I also look back at the legacy. For example, Elvis, uh, who was my co-founder at Fresh Lime, so co-creator, then is now then the Trill Pill, um, has now become an incredible filmmaker, uh, video producer, game maker, and so on. I look at some of our writers, uh, Raghu Karnad, who was in we, we school. We spoke about Nikhil Pawa. Nikhil I didn't know Pawa, Nikhil was who, part was, of this. Yeah. who was one of my writers at Fresh Lime Soda, then Nikhil went on to found star, uh, yeah. Media Nama. And, you know, years later, he's doing incredible work uh, to save the internet. Which, he saved the internet already. Uh, correct. Now he's trying you know, to save privacy. Us. Correct. Um, Raghu, so many years later, went on to, like, you know, of course write this beautiful book, uh, do some of the most important reportage in our country and has co-founded The Wire. And uh, what was really sweet is that last month, Raghu sent me this beautiful message saying, you know, I've carried fresh lime soda in my heart for all these years. And with your blessings, I'm going to recreate that same spirit. So they've just launched Live Wire, which is fresh lime soda for this generation. But you know, what really struck me was the brand name. And you had yeah. freshlimesoda.com. Did yeah. you have that domain? No, I forgot to renew it when I went to MIT. <laughs> and then I think someone squatted on it and they sent me some messages saying, pay us $1,000 you want it back. And I was like, you know, I, I didn't. Yeah, because that was such, it, it is such a premium domain yeah, name. Yeah, so yeah. you held it for a long time. Um, No, you know, when it ended, it just it it ended and then I went on to MIT I went on to do other things I but, tend not to look back but at 22 how did you think of this idea and you know start it was just it? a space for young people to express themselves it but, was nothing um, I don't think it was I think when I look back and I connect the dots I think my entire life has been about uh, wanting to create spaces and opportunities uh, for people to express themselves and as a result, we form communities. So my life has been about connections and communities. And the way I do that is through communication. No, but, you know, at that time, you know, parents would be ki bhaiya padai karo or do some business. You come from a Sindhi family. Yeah. You know, business is in your blood, <laughs> right? Somehow. Well, thankfully, no. Thankfully, <laughs> my parents are working. Uh, you know, no, uh, my, my point is yeah. that, you know, especially, right? Or being No, a, they didn't. I mean, that way I've been very blessed. Um they didn't interfere they they've always been saying they've always been uh support even though they may not understand <laughs> what i do uh often they've always been very supportive but but you grew up in south bombay and how did life in south bombay i was bombay... hoping you wouldn't bring that's the part of my sordid past i try to hide <laughs> now that i'm in vikroli <laughs> well you have made vikroli the hip part of yeah, mumbai is what south i keep bombay talking bombay is about. now so boring sobo for me <laughs> <laughs> Along with bourgeois bandra, um, but luckily we stay in cool parts. Yep, like you know, choppy, chill chambur. <laughs> yeah, chambur is the center of the universe now, right? And with sexy the eastern science. Freeway. And sexy science. So, yeah. you know, we're in the cool part of the city, but like uh, viva, viva vikroli, viva vikroli. Yeah, yeah. But I have a sordid past. Everyone does, and it involved going to school in South Bombay in Kolaba. Um, I went to school at Saint Joseph's Kolaba, which is actually at RC Church, which is the southernmost tip of the city. Yep. And my friends were all either from their parents were in the Navy or the military or uh, TIFR, which was right next door. Um, but what was amazing, it was an SSC school. Um, yeah, even so I in, studied SSC. Yeah. So in 7th standard, my fees were 7 rupees per month. In 8th standard, my fees were 8 rupees per month. And I think it was a very different city because... Right, I mean, my. Friends, I tell my kids yeah. that you know what has been, what is their yearly yeah. fee in yeah. their current school is yeah. what I I probably paid less than that for my entire for your life for Correct. my life. 
Yeah, no, and for me, what I learned most was about just valuing people for who they were and not where they came from. And I think that's really, really been very useful to me. Um, because in life, I've gone through so many ups and downs. Um, at one prime fresh time, so I was doing very well. Um, I was looked at very differently by people because they thought I had money. Those same people, it's very filmy, but those same people, some months later, when they saw me standing at a bus stop, you know, rolled their car window and went by saying, oh God, he's standing at a bus stop. But I mean, so I learned very early on, yeah. luckily, because I went to a school and I was very grounded. I learned I very early. The best you, thing is yeah. when you start doing startups early, rejection becomes part of your life every yeah. day, right? I mean, and then you value, you value what's real. You value love. You value friendship. You value um, knowledge. Um, you value health. I mean, right? I exactly. mean, physical exactly. or mental. You value kindness because there isn't enough of that in the world. Uh, you value mentorship. Uh, my entire life has been one of receiving and then now giving, uh, you know, exactly. mentorship. Um, and you begin to think of life as a, as a blessing. And that's no, what... But, but let's talk about the late 90s yeah. and the early 2000s, right? Society at that time was yeah. very different to what the society is today. And how did you deal with this? I mean, and now a lot of people are more open to talking yeah. about their yeah. uh, their status. But at that point of time, it was not that prevalent in the country. Yeah. And not just the country, I would say worldwide. Yeah. It was yeah. not. So how did you deal with that in your early days? So again, I think uh, for me, my being gay and my talking about LGBT, you know, rights in India in general has been a journey of articulation. Um, it was never, I mean, you know, many people ask, when did you first come to know that you were gay or whatever? It's just, you know, ask straight people when you come to know you were straight. I mean, you know, this is something which is inherent. Uh, but unfortunately, our society, not just in India worldwide, is structured in such a way, it's heteronormative. So if you're hetero, you never have to discover that you're heterosexual. <laughs> it's assumed. Whereas if you're anything but hetero, you, it has to be a process yeah. of like discovery and so on. And then you have to like <laughs> deal with it, express it, yeah. uh, negotiate it. Um, so in my case, I always knew I was gay. I was very comfortable with it. I mean, you know, it's very simple, no? Like some people like apples, some like oranges, some like blue, some like green, some right with their left hand, some right with their right hand, some right with their feet, incidentally. Yeah. Some people are straight, some people are gay, some people are bi, some people are asexual, some people yeah. are trans. There's a range exactly. of, of, exactly. of... It's of, a spectrum. It's a complete spectrum. So with me, it was never a question of being gay. Uh, was very organic and natural to me. Thankfully, I lived with parents and friends. I mean, I was bullied in school and all of that, but I had enough friends who just loved and supported me. Um, who so I didn't feel it was wrong in any way. Um, no, I was. That's but why no, I said so the context of the society. I was the context of the society was that it was. I mean, also in growing up, I mean, pre-internet. Uh, not that much access to information and so on. But internally, I mean, you know, of course, one started reading books, one started uh, making friends and all of that. But I'm saying for me, it was a process of articulation. So it took me, I mean, I, I always knew that uh, I happened to be gay. But for me to say it first to myself with confidence, then to people around me who were close, and then to the world took me many, many years. And I have to say, I'm very thankful to MIT where I finally went for my master's after... And, and this was which year? This was MIT? MIT, I started in 2003. Okay. So literally uh, right after the yeah. Fresh Lime Soda. After Fresh Lime Soda, yeah. Most people do theory and then practice. By 2003, I had um, started and then 
spectacularly collapsed uh, <laughs> then went to a youth website drop out in. yeah i'd worked in newspapers i had run i'd worked on a feature film i had run a dot com and then i went to study so everyone else goes theory then practice i did practice and then i went to study i might need to study media i was like what is it that i've been doing for all these years and this was the early of days of the media lab itself right yeah but i didn't go to media lab i went oh. to comparative media studies which is a parallel program next to the media lab the okay. media lab is essentially for uh, technology comparative media studies my program it's very small it still takes only about 8 people every year so it's a very intensive competitive masters program which is the humanities side of media but and which college did you go to in bombay mm-hmm. uh first sidnam commerce which was a compromise which is a very strange compromise all the sobo people go to sidnam like no, but no it's people also, like we yeah, go to podar <laughs> which is you know but which is it's also very weird because i maybe a lot of people identify with it because I really wanted to do arts and I was getting good grades like in the 90s so everyone including my parents said you should do science and then for some strange reason my parents said that commerce is a compromise like if you can't do science at least do commerce as if it's a midway between and arts the worst is arts the arts is like if you do nothing you go to arts correct right? and it's so weird and at that time I didn't have the language to fight back or the ability or whatever so I went along it was the worst couple of years of my life i mean i hated commerce um they don't teach you anything i think bcom is completely pointless degree um so <laughs> well i didn't qualify yeah. it, so no yeah. so you're so lucky that you that you didn't that you didn't do a bcom it's um uh, no so just you know all the bcomers out there yeah uh, change sorry. change change do something else no by else. the way it's not called bcom anymore it's something else they call it uh, bachelor of something bachelor of business bbm or so something so bba or whatever is yeah. i mean i think the curriculum is slightly better than a bba but still it doesn't train yeah. you for anything except exactly. if you really want it like yeah. if i i know people who love accounts you know in that case you must do bcom and then do accounting so that you can do ca or whatever yeah. you know you like numbers you like i know people who are great with numbers who uh, really want to be actuarians <laughs> and then which is great right if you can because if you like calculating risk possibility yeah. you're great for insurance it Absolutely. makes you happy it turns you on unfortunately most people don't go into this with knowledge or but anyway so i made it many things for me but you know it was vital because it was a safe space for me to come out so after sidnam you went to xavier's no no call, after sorry. sidnam i did a film program i mean while i was in sidnam itself i got my first job working at the times of india group oh. my first boss was the legendary bachi karkaria oh okay and, uh, so this is a vt right at vt station this is right at vt station uh, i was uh, the story of how i got it is very interesting because i was a passionate reader of a newspaper called metropolis on saturday yeah i remember that which was yeah. a, the only weekend uh, newspaper yeah. that used to come out at that time and one weekend i thought the issue was quite uh, rubbish so the next monday i just walked to vt i got myself into times of india the security wasn't so strict then and you said i want to give yeah. feedback Yeah and I walked into her office and for some strange reason and I was wearing like you know lime green shorts <laughs> and like you know shoes with pink laces and looking very neon I mean you know yeah. those were the days and for some strange reason I got into her office and she just looked at me up and down and said who let you in <laughs> and then she was like what do you want I told her I think you know paper is so good but it's quite shit this weekend and I have a problem So she said something actually quite wonderful which has stayed with me. She's like, you know, when you have a problem in life, uh you can do two things. You can complain about it or you can roll up your sleeves and change it. So she's like, you made it till here. Hmm. I admire you for your guts and I'm going to call security and tell them to be more careful next time. <laughs> But if you have an issue with my paper, do you want to stay on 
and help make it a better newspaper. So she offered me a job on the spot. This young college student who didn't, right, with nothing except, I mean, my, the courage that I had to go into her office. No, but you know, this is the point, right? This is what differentiates yeah. every yeah. you and everybody else, right? So people right now suddenly think yeah. that they are on Twitter or they are online and yeah. for them doing a retweet or liking somebody yeah. is doing changing the world. Yeah. To change the world, you, you need to, be to go. You need yeah. to go there, end up, and then they say, "Okay, be part of the solution, yeah. not part of the problem." Correct. And that's what that is the story you just narrated, right? You fo- saw problem, you just didn't sit there and said, "Ah, yeah." I just hai. put my hand up yeah. and said, "Let's," you know. I spoke up, and then she offered me this job. I took it. Some months later, I asked her. I said, "You know, I had no background. I was like, why did you hire me?" Because she was like, I liked your attitude. Um, she's like, skills can be taught, but yeah, attitude, attitude yeah. you know, really can't. You have it and you don't. And she Absolutely. was like, when you hire people, if you have the right attitude, yeah. everything else can be. You yeah. know, attitude is yeah. the is the main. And I thing. hire people now completely based on that. I mean, you know, I've hired lots yeah, of people yeah. since then, and you know, skills we can always teach them. So, so Times of India, you worked for how long? That was for a year. Then I went. Then I gave my TYB com because <laughs> I was still in college. <laughs> And um, you had to finish your graduation before graduate. you go to yeah. masters. Yeah, no, I had to just finish my BCom because I wanted to get it out of the way. Then I did. Uh, then I worked with L, the French fashion magazine, which had just launched in India, and discovered the fashionista inside me uh, while working at L. Well, your fashion sense is legendary, yeah. right? Oh, I'm, mean, I'm, yeah. oh, you should be happy. I'm in this month's GQ 100 most stylish people in India. Of course, list. we know your style. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Finally, GQ discovered it. Thank you, Che and GQ team. <laughs> well, they yeah. they always thought you were L and they compete, right? L no, L, L was many, many years okay. ago. Now I'm now I belong with everyone. Okay. <laughs> All the fashionable people out there. Um, no, so then I was then I helped. Uh, it was the first year of L, so it was a very exciting time because we were in a sense defining the market at that time. Magazine market was very much Femina and Eve's, you know, that thing, and suddenly L was. French, fashionable, global. We were and this cosmopolitan had also all that came much later. Okay. So the team that was in L originally, I mean, you see where they've all gone. Like Anita, then you know, many years later, has now is a star at Vogue. Uh, you know, Narendra Kumar Emma, the fashion editor, became you know a designer in his own right. So that early L team is has been quite amazing. So it mm. was fun to do that. Uh, I was very young, so I was like. And did you travel a lot to Paris or no? No, this no. is purely India. No, this was in India. But it was great fun. While there, I met Nagesh Kokanur, who had just made Hyderabad Blues. And that was quite a movie, man. Which was an amazing movie. And for some yeah. reason, he's just not been able to create that magic again, right? Well, he's, he's done a range of different things. Yeah. And I like that he's trying with different yeah. genres. I mean, he's done different things. Like, yeah. Iqbal is a very different film, for example, um, from that early rawness or that madness. So, uh, I liked his energy and... Uh, I wanted to spend the first few years of my professional life trying out different things. I knew that I wanted to be in media. Uh, while at Metropolis, incidentally, I'd start, you know, I'd help run a youth page, create a community around it. So I knew that I wanted to be at the intersection of producing media and building communities. I knew that. And 22 years later, I'm still doing that. Um, but I said, let me give films a shot. So I assisted Nagesh on Rockford, which was his second film. Um, I think I was a complete disaster. I was I a very even bad assistant. I remember this movie actually. It's <laughs> about life in an all boys boarding school. Uh, we shot in Salem. Uh, we shot in, in, you know, in Hyderabad. It was again very low budget, mm. uh, but it was an interesting experience. What it taught me was that I suck at assisting. <laughs> I 
I'm very bad with films. I've, no, but what <laughs> made you quit a magazine and then just start directing? I mean, what? No, was I wasn't directing. I was carrying chairs. I was assisting. wiping children's running noses. I was carrying chairs. I was forgetting to bring calendars <laughs> but that were needed for scenes. I mean, it was very no, much. So was it because you wanted an opportunity to work with to Nagi? No, I wanted to see what a film set is like. You know, and I think your early twenties. I mean, if you can, should be about trying different things. Yeah. Experimenting um, everything Yeah and, and that was you moved to Hyderabad basically No so we we did it I mean it was very low budget We did the casting from my parents flat in Kolaba If you can imagine <laughs> uh, And we shot in uh, In Hyderabad and in uh, In Tamil Nadu Okay um, It was it I'm very grateful because it made me realize that I'm not cut out for films At least at that point in my life I'm not cut out for that kind of system And, and then when did you apply to MIT? No, so then after that, then I oh, uh, then fresh lime, then fresh lime soda came. So then I was like, "What am I good at? I'm good at connecting people and building communities." The internet is just launched, and you were all all of twenty two or twenty three. I was at that time, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> by that time, most people have not even graduated. Yeah, so by the time I went to MIT, I had done, I had lived multiple lives, I had done multiple jobs. <laughs> I had no wonder started, you were like one yeah. of the most qualified candidates for that course. Yeah, so MIT was good fun. I mean, I got. Uh, no, but who? To, I mean, applying to MIT, you know, like sitting out of Mumbai, suddenly Sydney College. It is not like you were. Yeah. You know, suddenly, how did you think of MIT? What got you um, there? So honestly, I didn't even know <laughs> that. I mean, that a place like MIT exists. I was looking. You have to remember, this is again. Yeah. There's not internet. You have to go to US consulate and look at those fat yeah, books, those for books, example. Exactly. Yeah. Um, discovered it, uh, but I think I did a very smart thing. I had some money that I had saved. Uh, which hadn't been sunk in fresh lime soda, uh, and I decided to uh, visit places that I liked even before applying to them. Ooh. And most people apply to U.S. colleges and then go on a familiarization trip. You did that first. I did it first. So I said, "Here are some seven or eight like universities that I like." Smart kid, man. I mean, nobody knew all these things. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so it was fun. So I actually visited. So MIT was one of the places. I said, "I said, let me check out these communication programs again." Uh, I got a very cheap ticket. I had friends. Uh, I had one suitcase, and I just went from city to city um, across the U.S. over two months, visiting colleges, meeting the professors, figuring out whether I like it or not. And by the time I came back, I kind of knew the places that. So, I'm which at. are the other places you looked at apart from MIT? So I looked at UPenn. I looked at UT Austin. I looked at USC. Uh, Everywhere. At, huh? Yeah, I went from coast to coast looking at colleges. Wow. <laughs> Um, and then I pretty much knew that I mean I just fell in love with MIT at that time, uh, and I got into every college that I applied for, Ooh, <laughs> which is which that's was fun, rare. which was fun. Uh, and then since I anyway really liked MIT very much, I liked the smallness, I liked the intensity, I liked the humility. I mean. Uh, of course, now it's a little different environment in MIT that they have got flushed with so much money from. Yeah, but the people it, itself are still like. You know, when I was there, I mean, I was in a elevator. I think even when I visited, and there was just someone amazing. This is actually old professor-looking kind of person carrying a cello or something next to me in the elevator, and who saw that I was coming, held the door open, smiled, and then afterwards, when we got we got off, and then when we went to our floor, the person next to me said, "You know, he just won the Nobel Prize or whatever." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay." Um, yeah, that's but, the you thing. Know, he's right? so you sweet, know? right? But yeah. MIT is full of people who are just like. Super sweet, generous, humble, um, accomplished, but wear it lightly. And uh, it really 
fundamental difference, say, from Harvard, for example, or like a Yale, both yeah. places where I've happened to study later in life. Uh, but I mean, the energy of MIT is you fundamentally talk of Harvard, different. Yale, MIT, like you yeah. know, yeah, you know, no, it's a privilege. Right? It's I mean, a it's privilege. amazing it's a, what you've been able to. But do. it's been an amazing journey of knowledge, as I said, and I value knowledge very much and knowledge not just for knowledge's sake but knowledge as a call to action and, and but uh, yeah. you use it right i mean your your degree in communication yeah. and what you're doing today oh it's fundamental so to get back to what you asked about being comfortable lgbt rights i mean with being myself as well it's all because of mit so when i finally landed up going to mit um the first week i landed uh i mean i also just hit the ground running i mean i reached mit and i was like I want to organize the biggest South Asian LGBT festival ever on the East Coast of America. I mean, it's not like my plans were less ambitious. And this is really fresh off the boat. Uh, Who's this guy? Yeah, they were like, who's this guy? But what was amazing is that because I said it, this is what I want to do. And I started meeting people. The world opened up. And I know it's kind of very weird and very the secret-ish. <laughs> like when you talk about this Kainath manifesting itself but you know it it just it's happened in my life right I reached I go there I say I want to do this I say it to my program my program says shouldn't you unpack and settle down and <laughs> look at your course pack and see which classes you want to take I was like yeah, yeah I'll do that but I want to do this festival and before you know it the vice president of MIT has called me into her office for an interview and said welcome to MIT I know you've <laughs> You've just landed here. And this your plans are very ambitious. You will need to fundraise. I'm going to sit you down and help you how to fundraise at MIT. Um, and here's $2,000 from my vice presidential discretionary fund to get you kickstarted. Wow. I mean, it's amazing, right? Wow. I mean, you can just express yourself and then the universe says, we like this positive energy. We're going to make it happen. And this is how this festival was funded. I mean, I got funding from... And the Black Students Association, I got funding from the Hispanic Student Association. I, the only student association I didn't get funding from from this festival happened to be the Indian Student Association. <laughs> because for some strange reason, the Indian students oh, didn't, want to, didn't want to fund an <laughs> LGBT thing. <laughs> in, 2000 and, uh, in 2003. <laughs> but everyone else did. Oh God, that is uh, quite a story, huh? Indian it's, Students Association would have funded a Bhangra festival. Oh, or, they did. They yeah. were funding Bhangra. They were funding Dandia. They were funding everything possible. Except uh, for some strange reason, L an LGBT festival that talks about what it means to be Desi and queer. Um, anyway, so, yeah. it's, so MIT gave me, the, gave me the space to be myself. It gave me the confidence. It gave me the support system. Um, it gave me an ecosystem of possibility. And I'm so while I was always comfortable with myself, I think being in that safe and welcoming environment like MIT gave me the confidence to be comfortable and articulated with others. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm talking so confidently is very much because... So, but you know, I mean, just to take that contrast, right? So today there are kids who are in small town India, right? Ranchi, Bhatinda you know, Patna, yeah. and they are not going to MIT, they are going to their local schools yeah. and colleges. Yeah. For them, dealing with something like this is a very, very different ball game. I mean, you know, you were yeah. South Bombay, yeah. MIT, and you're doing You'll this. be surprised. I mean, I'm, because I'm on social media, people DM me, people message me on Instagram, people message me on Facebook, 
And I actually talk to a lot of the people across the country also because of my work, because of the kind of outreach I do. I mean, I was very privileged that I had the luxury of having time and space and going somewhere else. Thankfully, the students in all these cities don't need to. For example, there's one incredible young, um, I would say, hero in Jabalpur who's who's queer, who's uh, who's very visibly, um, he likes to cross-dress and he goes to his local fast food restaurant and the manager is his friend and like while his, you know, while in his college people might make fun of him and in the society people might make fun of him, he's found an ally and the manager of this restaurant who when he enters this restaurant, the manager says, oh, our princess is here, come on, turn, put the AC on. Uh, what will what will you have today, my dear? And and so he's created a safe space for himself, and he's found a system of people who care for him um, in a fast food restaurant in, in in Jabalpur, right? I mean, that's amazing, right? And now he has friends online, and he's talking to them, and all of that. So I think young people all over the country today are. I mean, they don't need to go far away. And there the are, internet and the whole community has... The internet, um, apps, uh, more knowledge, more visibility. It's amazing. So Pride, for example, happens across the country at this point. Yeah. In the, every the small parades, city. Yeah, there are parades. There happening. are Pride parades, not just in Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore, Kolkata. But there are Pride parades everywhere. There's Kochi Pride. There's Surat Pride. Um, there's Ahmedabad Pride. There's... Um, it's everything. And... You know, I so I think young people in India today are um, are way more confident. I mean, I see twenty year olds who are way more confident than I ever was at twenty, and who are way more confident than I am now at forty two. Um, I see people going through lots of struggles, um, but dealing with it and uh, enjoying their life with so much aplomb today. So I'm I'm actually very bullish about young India and future India. It's the present India and these oldies <laughs> yeah. who, you know, who are like ostriches with their head in the sand, who are not recognizing. We are going to talk about 377. <laughs> sure. But I think, again, right, this, it's interesting that it almost seems like from a society perspective, we are going a little behind rather than going a little ahead. You know, yeah. some of the times you feel yeah. that, oh, you know, there is so much of tolerance or intolerance. But looks like intolerance is on the rise versus the tolerance. So what, do you feel that at all? Or? So I would like us to go behind. I would like us to go behind to the idea of India, which existed. I want us to go behind to the original idea of India. I mean, and what is original, who knows? But if we go pre-British, pre-colonial times, because you have to realize that 377 is a colonial imposition. Yeah, It's a law uh, that was imposed upon us in the mid-1800s by the British who imposed this law on all their colonies. So there's a 377 version in different colonies, yeah. most of which have thrown it out. We, for some strange reason, chose to throw the British out in 1947, but we've still kept this law. A lot of laws, actually. Which yeah. is like pointless. Um, if you go back to India before that, and uh, I'm so grateful to historians like Ruth Vanita and Salim Kidwai and to mythologists like Devdat, Amish, and so many others who have been writing about all of this for so many years. Um, Devdat in particular, because, you know, I think Ruth and Salim's books, like, his, you know, history students, anthropologists read and all, but someone like Devdat, when he writes so about openly mythology, yeah. about how Indian mythology has always been plural, accepting and inclusive. Yeah. In a book like Shikhandi, for example, he shows queerness in all its magnificent manifestations. So, if you want to go back, I mean, yeah. I would love to go I mean, back to an idea of India. Transgenders are part of our culture in every yeah. family, you know, a boy or anybody born. Transgender fluidity. Yeah. And we've always been accepting of difference in India. So, I'm very happy if we go back. If we go back to an idea of India where we 
uh, include. Uh, the problem is that we are not going back to that idea. People uh, want us to go to an idea of India which is fundamentally against our very grain. Uh, it's against our very grain as people. It is fundamentally against our very grain of this land of inclusivity. But chal, maybe these things are constructs. It's also fundamentally unconstitutional because our constitution says that um, and we can believe in our constitution because it's something that, you know, we fought for for all these years and we gave it to ourselves. A constitution gives us, gives everyone in this India multiple rights, um, including now a right to privacy, which there was a landmark judgment in the Supreme Court recently. Um, and right to privacy supersedes everything, basically. Correct. Right? Yeah. So, um, I don't, I fail to see how... Uh, given that we have this history of inclusion in our country, uh, given that we have, um, you know, laws that support uh, LGBT inclusion, I mean, why something like 377 continues to stay? I'm very hopeful that now that it's at a review petition, it will be thrown away. Um, but I think doing away with I mean, 377... It, it won't be thrown away that easily given that there are so many... It's, it's become political more than anything else. No, I don't think LGBT rights are political in that sense. I think people... I mean, it's not it's not a political hot-button issue. Uh, I think it's a non-issue, unfortunately, no, in the mainstream. If it is not political, then why... I mean, the point is that this should have been cleared much earlier. Completely. So in this case, I really wish... I mean... I think the Delhi High Court did its job in 2009. Uh, it did away with 377. It's really unfortunate that the Supreme Court had to overrule that judgment. Um, but we are waiting for, um, you know, for sense to prevail and for this time for the judgment. And when is to, it coming up next? We don't know at any given time. <laughs> it can just happen tomorrow. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen tomorrow. But the point is 377 has to go. I mean, there's no, it will go, whether it could yeah. go tomorrow, day after tomorrow, etc. That's not the point. The point is in really making people understand um, that including and accepting people is part of our culture. It is Indian to include. It is Indian to accept. So if you have a son or daughter um, who happens to maybe love someone from their own gender, it is Indian to say, tell me about it. I accept you. You are ours. By pushing that son and daughter away and you're being non-Indian. And I think we have to make that mental shift. No, I think that is where, you know, the propaganda which is coming up, right? Yeah. That, oh, this is A, not against our culture. Yeah. It is against nature. See, you now that nature these... and science thing, so you can argue yeah. by showing articles and by whatever. It's against nature means every, if you look at nature and so in biodiversity, I mean, plants, animals, <laughs> you know, there's... Queerness and everything. Examples, yeah. It's prakriti. Exactly. Prakriti is diverse in its yeah. in, in its <laughs> in its essence. I mean, that's what it is. Um, so it is scientifically <laughs> very okay. It is every major association all over the world, whether Indian psychiatric or whatever, has said that it's very okay. It's normal behavior. Um, it's an orientation. Um, so how do you change? So I mean. The scientific arguments, you know, we can make. But this, it's against our culture. I'm getting very, very tired of because it is in our culture. It's against our culture to discriminate against people for being different. So I'm hoping that at some point. The Vishal Gondal Show will be right back after this break. Are you just bored of doing the same old things in your city? The LBB iPhone Awesome Podcast is here to give you top five things to do every week in Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore and Pune from your go-to local recommendations platform across new restaurants, events, budget shopping, weekend getaways and lots more. 
episodes out every Thursday on the IVM app, website, and anywhere you get your podcast from. So, so let's little go back. So, you finished yeah. MIT Labs, and then you came back in India two thousand six. Two thousand six. Two thousand six, and then yeah. you ended up. With a job in a major corporate. This yeah. Was so I worked Mahindra. at Mahindra for a couple of years. I uh, worked on a bunch of experiments at Mahindra, um, based all based around uh, making India better and cooler. <laughs> I mean, it's very broad mandate. So, so tell me, how did you convince an Anand Mahindra to hire this kid? Oh, he convinced is... me. It was. Oh. <laughs> so how did he convince you so to we, join Mahindra? I mean, I, I knew him, and we met up in Boston, and. Uh, he was like, I mean, it was a moment of I had just seen Swadesh and you know I'm a sucker <laughs> for Bollywood, so you know yeah, yeah, with Yejo Desai. That movie was yeah. epic, man. I think that you know, movie yeah. has changed Yejo many people's lives. Yejo ringing in my head, and then yeah. he meets me for dinner and says, "What are you doing with this MIT degree? Come back." And I was like, oh, "I'm okay." Uh, so many years later, I still I still don't know if it was the right decision. <laughs> no, no, I, I think uh, it was absolutely the right decision. Um, but then I came back and I was like, "What am I going to do?" And he was like, "You do what you want." Um, so I ran experiments. So we, uh, I worked at Mahindra. We started a venture fund, and so I became a venture capitalist from wow. being an entrepreneur. I was on the other side. I started looking at funding companies. We ran internal entrepreneurship programs for the company. We ran a bunch. So, and of, I know Mahindra does this amazing. They quite a few companies have been incubated yeah. now at Mahindra. The model has changed a lot more. It's now private equity yeah. more than venture. But when I was there, we were doing venture. We were not doing PE. Now wow. it's 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 You've scaled up. You've also been up. a venture capitalist, man. Yeah. You've done so many things, yeah. Fun, no? <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I'm happy. Some of the companies that we funded um, were Clear Trip and so many others, Ooh. for example. At that wow. time, a small, small. Anyway, it was fun. Uh, so it was good fun. I mean, I enjoyed it. I loved being that side of it. At the same time, I had a day job, you know, working on innovation at Mahindra. And I had a night job because I started, uh, I took over Verve as editorial director, which was a fashion magazine that the Mahindras ran. Um, so I, you know, during the day I was funding companies. During the night I was kissing supermodels. It was, <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course... Um, it's a hard life. It's oh, I, I wish I, everybody had a hard life like this. Um, and then, of course, then a bunch of things happened in 2009. Uh, I mean, first the world economy crashed in 2008, but like 2009, a bunch of things happened. I mean, Obama got elected. Um, I got selected as a TED uh, yeah, fellow was a TED for film. the first time. We were time. there at Mysore. Correct. Yeah. And I was strange because I was in UPenn at that time. I, I chose to go to UPenn for a PhD. So I chose to leave my hand and, and, and go to UPenn for a PhD. Then the I flew PhD. back. You left that PhD. Yeah. So then it was a second epiphany, right? Because then I... Uh, so I, suddenly I was at UPenn. Suddenly I was, doing a, I was doing a PhD. Suddenly I was a TED Fellow. My book had come out. It was doing very, very well, Gay Bombay, um, which looks at the intersection of technology and sexuality in contemporary India. And a very dear friend of mine uh, died uh, uh, because of a heart attack at age uh, 39. So uh, a bunch of things happened. Yeah. And, and just to yeah. on that topic, yeah. right, uh, he is one of those cases which everybody gets a WhatsApp every year on. Yeah. Ranjan, who was uh, managing director of SAP. He used to run SAP, yeah. So he used anyway. to run SAP, super yeah. fit, super healthy. Yeah. And then... Yeah. And these things, you know, yeah, these things happen. It's random. It, yeah. There are... Um, but it was the perfect storm for me at that time. So I was sitting in this auditorium in Mysore um, saying, you know, I had an epiphany and I was like, I don't want to do this. I, uh, 
I looked at my life behind that had gone by. You know, I, I remember <laughs> that TED specifically yeah. because it was in this Infosys campus and Which there's so this amazingly yeah. green grass and they said nobody can step on it. Yeah. And we like purposely went on top of it. This is one of the but most... But also like Epcot Center and all <laughs> these like interesting buildings and I was like I thought I've come from America but like I landed in Mysore and I reached the Epcot Center. So it was very surreal. Um, so a bunch of things happened and I was sitting there and I was like I don't want to I've chosen to go back to dig deep because a PhD is essentially you dig deep yeah. into a field. I was like, actually, I think the most value that can come from me in this world is to spread my net wide. And when I looked back, I looked back at the VC experience. I looked back at the entrepreneurial experience. I looked back at the media creation. And, and I realized this book, that. And you wrote and this book when? And how book, much time did it take it you to It was write? my master's thesis at MIT. Ah, so that um, thesis converted into a book. Converted into a book. Um, most of my other classmates published like 50 to 100 page things. This was one 300 page thing. No, and when you talk about technology and being gay, how is this connected? Sorry. So it's a book that's called Gay Bombay Globalization, Love, and Belonging in Contemporary India. It looked at the. Uh, creation of a particular online offline group called Gay Bombay, which started off as a mailing list uh, in the day of listservs um, and then became a Yahoo group and then spun off into an offline, vibrant, thriving community. And and technology was connected. Yeah, so I looked at how the internet, the arrival of the internet and subsequently mobile phones led to the imagination and create. And now how big is this group? Thousands of people across the world. Um, But linked to desiness, gayness and Bombay city. Okay, this is only, there needs to be a Bombay linkage. Yeah, it's an online community which then spun off offline into so many different ways. So for example, parties, parent group meetings, etc. It's a full thriving community. And I argue about how, so the book historicizes LGBT uh, Indian history. This magazine also, were you part of that? Ashok Rokavi? No, Ashok is a a legend. He is someone who has kickstarted the queer movement in our country. Uh, It's it's called uh, Bombay Dost. Bombay Dost. And Hamsafar, which is the end of the trust, which is the foundation, which is extraordinary work. No. So I looked to them for guidance and research. I uh, got a lot of articles. Uh, Very few people in this country actually collect. I mean, we don't have a queer history as such. Um, so I'm very glad that the book has led to it's part of now the queer history canon of our country because it looks at the creation of this group but it also historicizes the LGBT community in India. No, no, and I, I remember there are many kings and there are many princesses in even in the 1800s yeah. who were openly gay and there yeah. are talks about it yeah. in many, many scriptures. Yeah. And so the book is not history though, the book is anthropology. So it looks mm-hmm. at like life say from the 80s onwards till the mid uh, 2000s which is so it's very exciting loved writing it uh, was very grateful that the moment I finished a master's thesis I found a publisher Sage who published it worldwide um, so I'm very very actually proud that it's in every major library in the world every and, major library yeah, in the world because it's in every major <laughs> yeah um, it's an academic book so it's a reference book and over the years it's been used as reference in, in so in countless other books theses uh, you know so many things so it's been it's been good to have contributed uh, to the community and to the movement by writing something amazing of course now I do it in different ways amazing so that got you to Mahindra then you became a no so it was an interesting year right so suddenly this book is out you know my friend is dying I'm like I'm a TED fellow I was like what does this all mean so that epiphany was that I have to spread my net my value lies most in being a dot connector 
And so that's how this, the next journey began of saying, all this has happened and I want to connect dots. And actually that was the genesis of the Godrej India Culture Lab. And you joined Godrej in 2010. Yeah. So then I came, went back to America. Of course, UPenn wasn't happy. <laughs> they were like, we love you, but don't come back. Because <laughs> it was like full scholarship and all of that. So they were like, don't come back. We love you. And I was like, I also love you. wants to come back? <laughs> so... Then I came back, I started bouncing my idea of different people. And the idea was very broadly how and can I we remember create... meeting you that time. You were thinking of some trust also at that point. Yeah, so the original idea was to create a consortium. Consortium, yeah. Of four or five companies who all want to fund this broad exploration into what it means to be modern and Indian. Because I'd run a consortium at MIT. So while I was getting my degree, I was also helping my professor. We had set up a... See, India getting two companies to work together... So that's what I realized, ...is the right? biggest yeah. challenge, right? Yeah. So Everybody. I met companies across the country and they all said, we will give you money. So a transport finance company said, yeah, we'll give you money, but you research behaviors of truck drivers. Uh, a tech company said, we will give you money, you research online behavior of Indian youth. I was like, we are not doing market research. I mean, there's amazing people out there who are doing it. We are a broad space where we bring together people, all of who in their own ways are trying to understand this country. So we are a flow of things. And you can't fund specific things. You have to find an idea broadly. It's so, like a think tank. This was literally a think tank yeah, you were putting together. It was very much, I mean, that was the original thing of, of being a think tank. Uh, we've evolved over the years to be a space for amplification, to be a space for different kinds of production. So the only person who actually saw the potential in this um, was Nisa Godridge. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, Sandeep Murthy, who I had worked with earlier because he was Clear Tyner trip. Perkins. And Clear then, and then, yeah, cl- of course, and then Sandeep Trip. a dear friend, yeah. Uh, I was bouncing, you know, I was telling Sandeep, no one seems to be getting this. Um, you know, I'd spoken to Anand earlier and Anand Mandra said, no, I'm not sure. And, and I'd worked at Mahindra before. He's like, I don't know. It's too broad. It's too ambiguous. Some years later, he was like, you know, I made a mistake. <laughs> I wish I would have done this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the thing, right? I mean, this is it. When When you have an idea, which is really broad and really vague, either people get it or people say it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't. So Sandeep said the only person who will get this is Nisa. So why don't you go chat with her? And so I met her and we really got along. We discussed books. We discussed ideas. It was supposed to be a random half an hour meeting. It became we spent the day with each other. We went on walk. <laughs> we went on a walk. We were just talking. At the end of it, I was like, you know, I think you're cool. And she's like, I think you're mad. But <laughs> this is uh, and I don't know what this culture lab thing is but why don't you come on board and let's figure it out uh, and she was like I'm happy to you know iterate and that's the thing with design thinking right as a process you you figure out a direction in which you want no and I think the the bigger thing is that you know a large corporate taking a stand right because yeah. I think I think for a lot of people I can understand why a Mahindra was a little hesitant at mm. that point of time because for them oh you know I don't want to associate with something which is going to be so uh, so controversial to put it simply but yeah. I think that was a yeah. big move for Godrej but now of course uh, many corporates are so now I go from corporate to corporate giving them lectures about how they should do this themselves I mean we are studied I was at Yale and we presented to the school of management so we are referred to all around the world as an incredible space and an idea 
uh, we are considered one of the most innovative I've places. I've now been there so many. What a beautiful yeah. office! The whole we design. We won the inaugural India Today Art Award, so now we are fed. But that's the thing. I and mean, that and this whole is, yeah. auditorium is so beautiful, right? Yeah, and but the thing is, with innovation, this is what it is, right? You really need someone to see that spark early. Um, so, if at all, I credit Culture Lab's success very much to Nisa because it's. I mean, there's a TED talk also, right? Yeah. About that second person who dances. Exactly. Right. Because the first person who's dancing is the crazy Derek one. Sivers, right? yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm. But the second person validates that, and then you're like, okay, maybe this person. And isn't then mad. the movement starts. Yeah. Correct. Um, so the second person who danced in this case happened to be Nisa, and she supported it, and it's been, it's been an amazing journey. We've broken so many paradigms about how corporates should fund culture. Uh, we've broken paradigms of geography, for example, Vikroli. Yeah. We have literally made Vikroli in seven years. The um, most happening place, and truly so, because I just out of interest go to other places to see. Yeah, I, I, I to, always tell you that you have yeah. you are single-handedly increased the property prices in Vikroli. Luckily, yeah. you got a house there when it was cheaper, I guess. No, not so cheap, but like yeah, I, I stay next to office, and I'm grateful that I could buy a house some years there, ago. Yeah, and I don't think there. I would be able to afford it today. But nowadays, with that social over there, that whole place. Oh, we don't, I don't get a seat. We don't get a seat. And Vworks yeah. is also there. Vworks is coming up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That it's, place it's, is it's Starbucks happening. has opened up already. Yeah, right? yeah. We have a Starbucks in our office. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but it wasn't like this seven years ago. We had to really work hard at building audiences. Of course, you you could get that smell of that uh, soap. Soap. Yeah. Whenever you used to go through this little patch in Vikram, now you get Starbucks coffee smell. <laughs> <around. laughs> um, but no, it's been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing journey of 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 realization of a dream. No, but I think it's also Godrej is now like transforming itself in real estate lifestyle with nature's basket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they purposely took a strategy also which was very different. So I think over the past few years, a bunch of things, right? So the Culture Lab is one of many initiatives that we have done. For example, so now I'm, I run the lab, but I'm also very very invested in the future of Godrej. Um, so I work very much with people, with all the senior leaders, in reimagining the future of the group, um, and. If you look so many years ago, whether we started focusing on design fundamentally, we've changed the way we look at design. Every every so the packaging team, of all your products. but not just packaging. Every team has a design thinking team embedded right from concept onwards. The way we think of human capital, the way we hire people, the way we train them, the way we focus say, on LGBT and e- equality. We're one of the few Indian companies that's so proactively inclusive. I mean, so over so the years. Do you years, do like special recruitment drives for LGBT or? Um, as of now, no. But we're but in every college. So I'm part of our say uh, student recruitment thing. I go to MBA schools across the country and recruit. It's called Godridge Loud, which stands for Live Out Your Dreams. And um, my talk is all about LGBT equality and how, you know, I mean, so it's am I recruiting? Specifically to LGBT students, no, but I'm recruiting to everyone <laughs> talking about why uh, this is important and why they should be working at a place like Godrej, which values them. And one of the lines I use very often in my talk is that don't worry, even if you happen to be straight, <laughs> we will treat you as equally at Godrej as we treat our LGBT employees. For example, you know, you'll be happy to know we give straight people the same benefits that we give LGBT people, which is <laughs> spousal insurance and things like that. Um, just because this is and you have to realize that this is also the India that these people are living in right um, we are not we are following we are not leading I mean you talk to young people today I mean you know gender sexuality these things don't matter don't matter what matters to them are values what matters to them is self-actualization what matters to them is fulfilling you know 
personal dreams what matters to them is spirituality what matters to them is wellness i mean as a company if we are recognizing that and following <laughs> no and that's what i said right so i think differentiation is amazing yeah and i think with culture lab godrej is really standing out as an as a beacon yeah. in this whole because corporates are boring yeah. you know i would say with everything we yeah. do yeah. culture lab is a strong component of it but because of it because it's not just the culture lab it's a bunch of other things people are now thinking of us and i'm very glad that um otherwise the kind of companies it's very hard for a 120 year old company to get this kind of love and passion if you're a google if yeah. you're a fa- fa- yeah. I mean, now actually we don't know about these companies yeah. too because i was going to say uber and then i'm i checked myself <laughs> um but you know it's easier for a tech company to like you know that does free lattes and you know bean bags to have this kind of for young people to think that they're cool it's harder for a 120 year old company but i think we're getting that kind of love and affection from from no, people but i think the more important thing is that you know that we need companies like godrej to yeah. come forward into yeah. this because the government is not doing it i don't know if there are government policies for government jobs which are pro no. lgbt no. or uh, i know there is a whole challenge around forget about lgbt but around the whole physically challenged and disabled yep. and we spoke to divyan true one of our fellows who we love and, who's amazing you know yeah. and i think the challenge is that you know there are so many communities in this country yeah. who have all yeah. kinds of problems with access with everything and i know in many countries especially in scandinavia etc yeah. the government itself is so pro yeah. Uh, so we don't have that and i fundamentally believe that it is uh it's something that corporations have to take up and uh you know to widen the net of inclusion and i don't think we sh- companies so, should so, do it so, because it's it's so good let me, so let me yeah. ask you a question yeah. because there is a confusion in people's yeah. mind yeah. that is it a crime to be gay in this country not at all so what so why so is this 377 is this law is outdated british law that says that any person found in blah 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 against the order of nature blah 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 essentially it refers to a sexual act uh, very broadly against the order of nature now who decides what's against the order of nature because your nature in as per your nature even holding hands with your wife might be considered unorderly yeah whereas for someone else kissing someone on the cheek might be considered unorderly anyway whatever it's it is it's a very it's broad a, it's a very broad ambiguous but it says that essentially criminalizes uh, behavior it criminalizes um and has anybody it criminalizes beha- yeah. it, it criminalizes intercourse it criminalizes a sexual act and now obviously to criminalize that you have to have witnesses so on and blah 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 blah, blah. so that so has anybody say, in this country gone behind bars for this so but the thing is the law is not is used as a threat the law is used to extort the law is used to blackmail the law is often used by people who should be protecting you whether it's authorities police etc the fear of the law Or somebody uh, will just come and say, "Oh, you know, by the way, I can book you in." And because people don't have information, because people don't have this, it creates a fear. The thing is, LGBT people are equal tax-paying citizens of this country. We are paying the same taxes. <laughs> we why should we be treated any differently for something so simple and so basic and as the right? Anyone, and it doesn't no, concern anyone. No, but it's also the else. right to love someone you choose to love is a fundamental right. I mean, why should you be criminalized? I mean. so the confusion the people might have is it's not illegal to be gay in this country um you can be gay you can be a lesbian you can be trans you can be you can be whatever you want you can even say it uh what is illegal and is and what is criminalized under 377 are particular kind of sexual acts that are deemed uh illegal 
Yeah. But now, you but know, I think the problem in India is that, you yeah. know, when laws are so broad, there could yeah. be, you know, police or. But also the presence of it. this law is a problem because yeah. the presence of this law means that people don't go to police when they are victimized, when they're harassed. People don't go to police for legal recourse. People don't. Right. People don't go to doctors. People don't go to. I mean, a community is being people don't access healthcare because they're afraid. Right. You've, you, a, a large part of a population is either being denied or is voluntarily denying themselves the same oh, rights. I didn't think about it. Yeah. That's um, because they feel unequal or diminished or whatever. And why should that happen? Because as far as I know, and, and we are all... what is the argument of the court? Why are they not abolishing this? Well, they will soon. Sounds quite, so they sounds will soon. Yeah, it sounds quite pointless yeah. in 2018 to be having so this what conversation. Is, so what is, the, what is their point exactly? Um, I hope they know it because I don't. Um... As of now, I mean, there's been enough, I think, given that the review petition is up. I mean, I would be very surprised if 377 doesn't go because the case is so strong. The right to privacy thing is so good that has just come up. Um, so it's very un- it's, it's unimaginable that with all this happening, 377 would stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Because as you said, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I cannot think of an argument. And, and what could yeah. a normal citizen of India do to support this? Right? I mean, yeah, we have we can retweet things, but is there anything tangible anybody can do? I think speak up, speak out, talk about it, support. A lot of people have misconceptions to talk about it. Um, I think 377 going will be just one step. I think we really need to create a culture where we talk about it, which is why what we do at the Culture Lab through our events, etc., we talk about it. We have plays, we have film screenings, we have panel discussions uh, with incredible people like Radhika Piramal, who is the only openly uh, CEO, out I mean, lesbian CEO of, CEO VIP, of Industries, VIP Industries. Yeah. She comes and talks, what does it mean to be a lesbian CEO? The more we talk about it, the more we make people understand that LGBT people um, have the same rights. No, no, and the best the thing same. is today's kids, so my sons yeah. both look at this very normally for Correct. them, you know. Yeah, what does it matter yeah. who you love? I mean, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think the, the kids of today's generation are very different. I yeah. think they look at the world because they have, they're exposed to yeah. internet. So what we YouTube. do is we should talk about it. We should stand up. If you see someone being bullied, teased, harassed, don't accept it. If you see someone making jokes um, that you find are offensive, like many people say that's so gay, like it's an insult, for example, that's not cool. Um, Being gay is kind of cool. (laughs) It shouldn't be used as an insult or whatever. Um, I think speak up, read up about it. Well, in the US, uh, you know, neighborhoods where where gay people live is more expensive. Everything there is considered more higher end. So it's actually... So Vikroli, no? It's becoming... Exactly, right? (laughs) So Vikroli is what you are really trying to build in that sense. What can we say? It's happened already. (laughs) Absolutely, right? You know, what Vikroli is what now? So 30,000 rupees a square feet? I don't know. I can't... I looked recently. I couldn't get a flat. (laughs) So, so, so the law, I hope, is going to take care of itself. Yeah. But in today's world, what do parents or people who are, let's say, having kids, what has been their, uh, you know, because you deal with many people like this, right? So how are the families dealing with this? I think so many are, I mean, I see so many progressive parents. I mean, I have so many friends whose kids um, welcome me and my partner into their lives almost very normal. Like, they'll, you know, we'll go and they'll say, where's he? And like, it's, it's so normal for them. That, you know, they have a mama and a papa, but like Parmesh uncle has, you know, someone else. Mm. It's just really. So I think a lot of parents are creating a culture where where they're talking to their kids. They're saying, you know, some people love, some men love men, some men love women, some women love women. All is okay. Love is a beautiful thing. 
So a lot of parents are having these conversations. Um, I think storytelling is a great way. So there was uh, a dear friend when her daughter is now 10. But when she was five, we were having this debate. And, you know, her favorite uh, thing was Rapunzel. Her favorite fairy tale was Rapunzel. And I was like, I don't like Rapunzel very much because... And she's a five-year-old, but I mean, she was five then, but she was still a very good debater. And I was like, you know, I don't, I think Rapunzel is non, not feminist. She's just pulled her hair down at a window and she's waiting for some guy to rescue her. Like, what's the big deal? Why can't she rescue herself? And why does it have to be a guy? Why, why can't she just, you know, marry a princess? And she was like, no, no, the story says this. And then she was like, actually, yeah, it would be kind of cool if Rapunzel had a princess instead of a prince. And so we made a new ending for Rapunzel where she pulls up her hair, she jumps out of the window. <laughs> if there's any bad people, she does karate chops to them. And she walks off into the sunset with a princess, right? I mean, so there's many ways that parents can... I mean, I think having conversations about the fact that we're all equal and that we're all worthy of love. And I think the important thing is not to look at LGBT thing uh, issues separately kids today are faced with a whole bunch of things some kids are fat some kids are short some yeah. kids are differently abled um, you know so to, to really with kids you want to raise a generation of children who has love and who accepts and other people with, you know, depression being this new epidemic correct right? it's so crazy so you right? want to raise children who are warm sensitive loving and uh and have the ability, have empathy for other people. And school kids have so much pressure around exams. Yeah. I mean, it's so as parents, being a school yeah. kid today is yeah. possibly the most stressful thing to be actually. So now imagine now if that child is hiding something from you because they feel that you won't understand. I think it's terrible. So I think the onus is on all parents to like go out and hug their children, and which is what culture helps. So at one of our very first culture lab events, we did uh, one of our very first culture lab events. I think it was one of our first queer events. We had uh, Ek Madhav Bhag, which uh, Mona Ambegaonkar, uh, the legendary actress, it's a one-act play in which a mother discovers a diary of her son. And she realizes that her son is gay and he's been hiding it from her. Right? It's a one-act play. It's really powerful. Mona came and did this. At some point, everyone in this audience was like, had tears running down their eyes. And then at the end, I mean, all these mothers went and crowded her. And this one mother said, I don't know if my daughter is lesbian or straight. I don't care. I'm just going to go home and hug her and tell her I love you. Mm-hmm. So I think if at all as parents, if anyone needs to just go and embrace your children. No, no. And, you know, which is which is the normal thing to do. It is the what they see in the media or what they hear or what the, you know, the yeah. religious leaders are talking about. I think mean, those are the things which complicate yeah. things. But like no that. religion in its in its pure sense and discriminates against people. I mean, these are all manifestations and expressions. You look at any religion and there's actually Devdat and Jerry have uh, released an incredible book called I Am Divine, So Are You. And I urge everyone to read it where they look at a range of religions, Sikhism, Jainism, Buddhism, Hinduism, so on. And they're like, and they look at how all these religions are actually quite incredibly queer positive. If you go back to the books, if you go back to the teachings. I mean, when they say that there is only one, you know, everything is, you know, so then there's no difference in actually. Yeah. So if people, I would say if you are religious, go back to the essence of your religion and you will realize that no religion preaches hate and intolerance. Every religion preaches love. If you're constitutionally minded, you're living in a country in which everyone deserves... You're secular, right? Correct. That itself means no religion. So yeah, yeah. if equality is the part of it, yeah, yeah, so be yeah. it. But I actually firmly believe that I think other stakeholders have to pray a lot, which is why one of the things I'm excited about is that, uh, is that working with the UN. For example, um, some years ago... Uh, the UN 
um, one of its successes in the past few years has been focusing so much on LGBT rights across the world. And some years ago, they started something called Free and Equal, which is specifically for LGBT issues around the world. And we had been talking to them for years. They've been great friends. And last year was historic because globally, the UN released uh, a manifesto. Because as you said, how do we be inclusive? Many people ask. So the UN, after three years of research on what it means to be inclusive, so you're a company, you're an organization, you're a college, you're a school, if you want to um, you know, implement inclusive policies specifically for LGBT inclusion, this manifesto tells you how to. So we at Godrich collaborated with them wow. and we were part of a global release. The release was in New York, London, Hong Kong, Paris and Mumbai. And at Mumbai, it was at Godrich. And what's amazing is that two years before this manifesto release, while they were writing the manifesto, we had called, we had sent out a call to every major Indian company saying, come and help us write this manifesto. About 10 companies showed up in our auditorium that day. For the book, for this report release this year, there were 400 people in the auditorium representing 40 companies and so many NGOs. And these wow. 40 companies all committed that saying we will we will go on our journey we will be LGBT inclusive and these are all this is Tata um, this is Aditya Birla group um, these are all so I'm very proud of course the Googles and Goldman Sachs and all will be there yeah. but, but for me the, the Indian, Indian corporates are you know it's vital because you know it's really really vital <laughs> and it's been amazing so the progress is also amazing so two years ago I spoke at Tata Steel for example um, last month, I was so excited that my friends, they told me that Tata Steel has gone all out in becoming LGBT friendly. They, um, many companies have policies, but Tata Steel has gone out and said that we even support gender transition, um, which is great. I mean, so it's gone from being clueless to being avant-garde. Wow. <laughs> so if, think. So, so Paramesh, so yeah. proud of you, man. Yeah. But you're doing so many things. So what is keeping you awake now? Every day, every night. What is the next big thing you are up to? So I'll tell you what keeps me awake every day anyway. It's two things. One is love. I've been very blessed. I mean, I'm I'm so loved in so many different ways. I'm, you know, parents, friends, etc. But two years ago, I met someone who is the love of my life. And uh, love is, <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. Um, and that's, you know, so now whatever I do, I do very much for him and I, I your new idea of traveling every six six weeks yeah we know four weeks four now. weeks he wow. keeps on That's he a good keeps hack. on lowering the threshold <laughs> um, so it's every yeah every month we have to travel to a new place and it needs to involve a plane ride so in the past well for all the married couples out there here is a good or just couples out there yeah here is a great idea yeah so one thing that keeps me going is that and the second is actually very much gratitude and um Right, we've we're all so blessed. I mean, you just have to open the newspapers, or put on the TV, <laughs> or scroll through any random Twitter timeline to see how much hate there is in this world. Oh God, Twitter is um, the hate capital of the world. Is Twitter, yeah. unfortunately, right? Yeah. So what keeps me going is is I wake up in the morning, I look out of my window at the mangroves, <laughs> and you know, I just say thank you. <laughs> I say thank you for this opportunity. Uh, so I have a deep sense of gratitude and I also have a deep sense of I have been blessed with so much whether it's parents who have supported whether it's uh, educational capital whether it's places like Godridge who have very much become I mean Godridge people like Nisa have been the wind beneath my wings that have helped me yeah. go ahead and do a lot of this right so 
I'm very grateful. I'm very conscious of that. So I try very, very hard every day. I'm like, how am I going to make today so, so count? So let's say that one fine day, given how yeah. your life is, right? Yeah. You get invited by the prime minister and they want you to make the culture minister of India. Yeah. Hypothetical again. Yeah. And they'll say, you know what, Paramesh, what you've done for the corporate world is amazing. Yeah. Let us create a new India with inclusion for everybody and change the culture. Yeah. What will be the, the five things you'd want to do for the country? Um, no, I would. And this I would, is not just for LGBT. I'm just saying, as a culture overall, I would take up any opportunity. I mean, I'm. I mean, my life now is to serve. It's to serve uh, in whatever way I can. So I would take up any opportunity. Because um, because in India, right, there is Dalits, there is Muslims, correct. there is handicapped. There are like so and they're many, all linked. So I think so many yeah, communities so think, which are having correct. all kinds of challenges. The northeastern, correct. you know. Like we are a country of the most so diversity. So we need to look at intersectionality, and that's the thing, and that's something that we have uh, realized and, uh, and 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 committed to even more firmly in the seven years of our culture lab's existence. That we can't look at gender without looking at sexuality. We can't look at sexuality without looking at uh, other kinds of uh, you know uh, inclusion. We can't look at. Uh, you can't look at anything without looking at caste in India. It's 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 fundamental exactly, exactly. to what we do. Um, uh, you can't look at caste without looking at inequality. So there's a range of 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 interconnected issues. So culture is, I look at culture in the Raymond Williams sense of culture with a small c, which is how we live our daily lives, and how we live our daily lives is an amalgamation of uh, all these things. I would. If well, at and, all I would do what's something, I would say, yeah. the student revolution at JNU, right? No, that's yeah. a completely other side of diversity which we are seeing in India. Completely, right? and with very, very valid points, speaking up. So I'm, uh, there are people whose work I really admire who are working at these intersections. So people are working at the intersection of caste and sexuality, which is incredible work coming out. People are working on. Uh, um, Divyanshu, for example, who works at disability and adventure sports. Yeah, I mean it's 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 wonderful because why should we always look at disability through the lens of uh, of pity patronage and pity, pity. Uh, and why not through the lens of opportunity and, now and, and, he is and going flying? To for his Correct. next expedition, which yeah. is going to be exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like working at these intersections. So if I, if I ever get an opportunity to serve at any level, I will be very very aware of the fact that it is intersectional. The Vishal Gondal Show will be right back after this break. Why don't we talk about mental illness? For that matter, we don't even talk about emotional wellness. And if we can't talk about either of these basic, very basic aspects of being human, what do we do when we just feel like something's not right? Hi, I'm Zain. And I'm Avanti. And this is Marbles Lost and Found, a show where we invite conversations about mental health and illness and just get people to talk about it because it's okay to do so. Catch Marbles Lost and Found every Tuesday on the IVM app, website or anywhere you get your podcasts from. What are the five policy changes you think which needs to be made in this country? I don't know if I could do <laughs> I could do five policy changes, but I would really... Well, let's talk about two policy changes. Um, I would, I mean, firstly, I would, I think culture is very underfunded. Um, I would really fund culture significantly. And we have enough data to show that, for example. So, a friend of mine recently, yeah. I met him and he was telling me that India doesn't have a history museum. Yeah. The museum of history of India yeah. is there in London. There is no 
place in India which chronicles our history, which yeah. was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, and it's you unfortunate know. because there are incredible individuals across this country who, in the past few years, have built amazing museums. Ahmedabad has a museum of conflict, a conflictarium. And you did this whole partition. We did a partition museum for so for tell, a few days. Tell me a little bit yeah. more about that partition thing. That was amazing because you know, again, yeah. you know, my family also came from Rawalpindi. My grandfather. And so did so, mine. Yeah. I'm Sindhi, right? So both my sets of uh, grandparents. Um, no, so we realized, so our cultural programming is very much about, again, it works at intersections. And we thought this year, I mean, last year, we realized that in August, everyone would be talking about 70 years of independence, but nobody would really be talking about the fact that it's also 70 years of partition. Um, and so we said, we really have to address the fact that independence came at a very heavy price. It was the largest migration in human history. And number of people who died. The yeah, number sorry. of lakhs of people who died, separated. And the fissures of that still continue to remain. Uh, so we said we have to address this. But also, how do we create a partition museum which is not just about loss, but which is also about gain, about possibility? <clears throat> so we started off by going to Amritsar, meeting incredible people at the partition museum in Amritsar, finding other partition archives across the world. There are so many. Reaching out to collaborators, uh, whether it's Harper's Bazaar magazine um, and so many others. Uh, you know who reached out to fashion designers so Tarun, Sabia everyone was part of it reaching out to filmmakers like Sharmin Obed Chinoy who's yeah, the Oscar winning yeah. filmmaker from Pakistan, Pakistan yeah. um, and Ted Fellow and yeah Ted Fellow and so on and really curating uh, Tanvir Mukammal who's a legendary filmmaker in Bangladesh for example so we said it has to be a museum of possibility it has to be subcontinent and not just India and it can't only be sad things happen because you know sad things did happen but happy things happen too and it has to end on a hopeful note. So with these premises, we started curating and it was magnificent. It was three days. We had 14 art installations and exhibits. Some of my most special ones were crowdsourced. So we created a museum of uh, objects from Mumbai. So all partition survivors and their families donated objects Ooh. to this museum. So it was very rare because you could only see it for three days. For So the founder of Jaihan College, the science kit that he brought with him when he came... That was on display, for example, the compass box of someone that they brought. What people carry with them when they, when they know that they're going to leave their home forever. Wow. So we had these rare objects. We had other things. And photographs are also there. We a had lot photographs. Of we had a lot of archival footage. Uh, we had concerts. Again, we had, this is music performances by groups like Abir and, Cafe. And, and this is what actually the government should be doing, right? I, I mean, agree. This is what we should yeah. be doing as a, as a you know, yeah. ministry of cultural yeah. history. But we also, we made sure that all our things, it was India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. So we had conversations. Unfortunately, a lot of our Pakistani collaborators could not come yeah. because of visa issues. But I'm so grateful for Skype. So we Skyped them in. Um, Salima Hashmiji, for example, was amazing. Sharmin Skyped in. Sharmin yeah. sent us films that she had made for the Manchester Museum. Because again, this was it was it's also 70 years of Pakistan. Yeah. And her films are being shown in Manchester, but not in Lahore. Yeah. So her films came about partition, went to Manchester and then came to us. Um, and we spoke about uh, problems, but we also spoke about the fact that people, we had incredible panels uh, curated by the 1947 Partition Archive, which is um, an organization which brought four 90-plus-year-old survivors of partition. Well, that's exactly right. The kind of stuff you're doing at Culture Lab should yeah. be done by the Ministry of Culture. Yeah. So, Well, we'd, know, we'd love for them to come and join us and, and, and help us. I mean, at this point, we'd love for anyone because we believe that we're doing work um, that is important, that needs to be done. So what do you think is 
could be changed possibly in our education system do you think the education system is in a way kind of putting people in boxes or very much so i think the fact that we don't have an focus on humanities we have this hierarchical thing i su- i suffered myself i think anyone and this is something that i'm so glad mit now if you go even if you take computer science or physics humanities. or anything about 30% of your classes have to be humanities because humanity teaches you ambiguity teaches you that i mean you know computer science is binary right there's zeros and ones but in humanities you say lady macbeth did this thing and she's feeling guilty but macbeth became king yeah. was lady macbeth right or wrong the answer is it depends <laughs> Yeah. Um, there is gray there is gray and, there's and you no know, gray in life but we are training people not to understand what depends means <laughs> so um it has to start from a young age it has to start with a recognition that also that there's culture all around us we are blessed to be living in a country where we paint our walls with techniques that we've used for hundreds of years it's amazing to live in a country where we weave our fabrics with stories and we have living culture culture is not just what rich people do in I mean, museums ganesh festival right i mean Ganpati, it's the most right? amazing culture i mean i Correct. always look forward to yeah. that time of the year or rangoli i yeah. mean we are a very cultured people culture is something we do so i think to give value to it to recognize it to contextualize it is something that we should all be doing um the way we look at culture at a lab is everyday life what we wear what we eat what we do it's not just opera or dance or uh you know a performance or a screening and it it's amazing to see that all this is happening from a patronage of a corporate yeah. uh, and not a government or not an ngo yeah. uh, but a corporate a for profit company who's doing it which is the most incredible thing and hats off to godrej and yeah. uh, you know nisa and all the folks out there to have a vision like this right because yeah. if if corporates in india each one of them can take a big problem right i mean we talk about sanitation swachh bharat yeah. unfortunately we know that you know there's a lot to be done around swachh yeah. bharat or yeah. even sanitation you yeah. know all these are challenges we are talking yeah. of 2018 yeah. uh and i really believe that you know if corporates take this a little more seriously yeah. with what godrej itself has done it can change no i believe so because i think it's I was saying earlier I don't think corporate should do it from a sense of this is we are this is CSR or this is feel good I think it's out of corporate's enlightened self interest to do it because when you are looking at issues that people are not talking about you're also looking at potential markets right when you are addressing issues based on gender I mean women are 50% of your market in India so if I'm doing feminist film festivals and conversations on the futures of feminism you know if you're at godrej you should be attending and other people should be attending and understanding and an- another so, very very big issue which you know is again a huge problem in india is women's participation in our workforce completely yeah. you know india has possibly one of the lowest percentage of women in the workforce i think less than 15% no it's it's horrible it's and even it doesn't lower, get better at in in, in, in corporations maybe. and unfortunately at every stage um, i mean at entry level it's 50% at godrej and others but at every stage women drop out drop out yeah. post marriage women drop out post child the, they drop actually, out actually women are higher in certain places yeah. than men and i think yeah. we cannot build a country which is going to be a global superpower with yeah. only 15 or 10% women yeah. participation yeah. and forget about all the yeah. other classes yeah. right so I you think, can't even just build like i think as a company you can't even build a market yeah. because what products will you create when if people who are making products are men yeah 
I mean, you can't. 90% of them, yeah. <laughs> right. 90% of innovation teams are men, right? On what basis will you create for like <laughs> 50%? You can't. But it's not just that diversity, right? It's class-based diversity. If everyone in our organization has gone to engineering college and a business school um, and has lived in a flat, how will you create for the 50% or more of India who lives in informal settlements and doesn't have a bathroom in the house? I mean, you cannot even think of it. So I think, you know, being inclusive in this sense of widening it, whether it's gender, sexuality, class, religion, caste, is also, I mean, if companies understand it's a smart strategic move to be more innovative and to get no, more and I business. Think that's the most unique thing of what you did, right? Because there could have been a route of doing this as an NGO. Yeah. Uh, but again, as I said, NGO has a very different sound. But when you are doing this backed by one of India's largest and most respected corporate, the view is very different. So yeah. what could, what are the key learnings? I mean, in your case, of course, you were MIT, you were all, how does a normal Joe who is thinking about this, what are your suggestions to them on how they can go about something like this? I think fine. Um, I think in everything you do, I think it's important to find allies and uh, and patrons. I mean, I couldn't have done this alone. I found someone who believed in me. So if you're in a college, if you're an institution, you want to do something, find a teacher who believes in you, find, speak to the principal, find other classmates, um, do proof of concept. I think it's very important. Culture Lab also, we've not been running for seven years. We have very high standards. We have very high goals. And how big is your team then? Okay? It's, it's, uh, it's three permanent people. Okay. <laughs> and uh, two uh, young students. Mm-hmm. It's five. That's it. Three and a half. Uh, and you take a lot of yeah. interns, I presume. No, these two people are like... In- okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's five people. That's it. Um, but we have like... Re- I mean, we have support, right? For example, if we do an event in yeah, a Goldridge Auditorium, yeah. the entire facilities team helps us if we do something. So we have... It's five of us, but then... We, with our jugar, tap into the entire Godred universe when we need it. Yep. We're very, of course, a, with your TED connections, you correct. are connected to the whole yeah. world. So of we course. punch we punch way above our weight in terms of, if you see our website, if you come to our events, you would think it's a like 30 or 40 people team running it. Um, but we are very small and lean. No, and the production is so high quality. It's high right? quality. I've mean, been yeah. to that Genda Full Holy event, yeah. which was so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that was, I mean, everything we do because we, we operate from, we want to serve. So if you go to our website, indiaculturelab.org, all our videos are available. You can see it. All our events are free. Uh, All are open to the general public. Um, All are followed by a reception. And sometimes we have fun curating the food menu even before we do the main event. And our aim is to get to create opportunities for people to share their work. And also for people, again, we do it all because we really want people to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. So... And it's been amazing to see the connections that have come out of it as well. People have collaborated. People have found <laughs> clients. Yeah, when you put intelligent people in yeah. a room, that's what happens, right? Yeah. Magic, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I think you are the magician making all this happen, which no, has been thank amazing. Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> no, no. And, you know, that's the whole point, right? I yeah. mean, uh, keeping on doing this is more important. And now you are, you know, just 42. You have a long life ahead. Yeah. Uh, so what are, your, what are you going to do your, in the next five to ten years? Have you thought? about anything yet yeah I'm actually now um, I'm a TED senior fellow and one of the advantages is that you get a coach yeah um, so we have I have an amazing coach uh, you can you say who's your coach um, no I'll ask him if I can okay. <laughs> tell you later but okay. like he's in Spain I can tell you he's oh, in Spain okay. um, 
and we have incredible so one uh, of the life coaches yeah. it's a life coach and a leadership coach and i'm i'm like really blessed to be working at you know, doing yeah, what i'm doing yeah, yeah. Can connect to some amazing uh, people yeah. Yeah, yeah um so what i'm really doing is working on legacy and my legacy is a mixture of things i've done and leave behind but uh it's also the people so i'm really focusing on training uh people whether it's my team whether it's others but at 42 you are already thinking of legacy i'm thinking very much of legacy because i also want to like really shift into um like i want to do philanthropy from early on i don't want it to be something i do in my 50s and 60s and i'm very committed to i mean i'm participating in lgbt issues through the lab as a as a venue and as a advocate personally and through godridge as a um as a catalyst in the corporate world for example but i also want to structure it um and like do a personal philanthropy uh exercise and start giving significantly from maybe next year onwards as Ooh, well wow. so i'm really thinking about that um but yeah i'm thinking about legacy at this point like you know how the dots add up <laughs> and another book is in the coming So I think it's I should because it's time. Uh And there's so much happened man. This there's is so like, much happened, there's so much to say. Uh I've written non-fiction before. Um uh, it might be nice although I'd uh exploring with genres. I just had a poem published in Condé Nast Traveler uh, this month as well. So suddenly poetry has happened. Um uh, we'll see. Uh but I think the big thing is to like really because we don't know right in today's world we don't know i mean life is we were just discussing this life is so random and so yeah and so short um shina anger yeah of course um who we hosted in bombay as well uh who's amazing, who's lovely yeah. at Colum- from colombia yeah. and uh, we were talking to you know i mean in her book her the book art on of choices correct, is, right so yeah. she says there are three frameworks for life one is uh life is uh, you know it's all written in the stars that means it's fate fate um i kind of tend to believe that that's a little bit true the second her framework is she's like we think of life as chance which is it's random right so uh, i could be sitting next to vishal gondal on a plane ride and tell him my business plan and then before you know it <laughs> you know i've gotten off and like he's like shit this is really cool right i could have been sitting two seats back and he would never have known so it's chance yeah. can you maximize your chances sure can you have a friend in the at an airline who will say you know vishal gondal is just sitting in this seat you should sit next to him yeah but you can only maximize your chance up to a certain thing yeah and the third is what she says is choice yeah. so i'm spending my time figuring out what in my life is fate <laughs> no, i i strongly believe it's choice it's yeah. not a matter of chance it's a matter of choice yeah. destiny but you know she said something very interesting and i asked shina i said what is love is love fate is love chance is love choice and she knows like i've done lots of research it's love fate love is being at the right place at the right time she was like it's just right she was like i think yeah, it's just yeah. she was like it's not choice and that's a good question if people can answer this this is a good thing to tweet me yeah. and parmesh about that do you think love, love is, is chance choice or destiny yeah mm, that's quite so funny. i'm thinking about what in my life is destiny and chance but what can i choose and yeah. so I'm choosing to think about legacy. I'm choosing to like, you know. yeah. But as we also know that we are living in parallel universes, so yeah. basically, yeah. what may be just happening is in every version of the universe, one choice is being what different choice is being yeah. made. But yeah, that's a so that's a different discussion. So yeah, maybe we focus, are all yeah. gay in one universe. Oh, we all are. I mean, it's in some <laughs> in, in a spectrum. We all are. Exactly right. So we all are. We all are. So uh, yeah. a new book is coming up, and any plans to do go back into movies? 
Um, I don't know, but or actually, maybe so, you know, do a, a documentary for Netflix, right? That's the new way to express. So yeah, so there's lots of stuff happening. Uh, a leading TV channel just met last week, and they were pitching the idea of a show, for example, on national television, which might be interesting. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of conversations happening. I mean, but for me, I mean, I guess the thing is really. I'm very focused on what can I do that can change people's lives the most. It can bring the kind of impact I want. So I'm just evaluating all of this. These are all blessings. Yeah. I never knew um, when I was bullied in school, for example. Um, I remember this one incident uh, when it was ninth standard. It was sports day, and I'd worn my favorite Madonna green shorts, um, and I was very happy and excited for them. And a bunch of bullies. Uh, followed me on sports day and pulled my shorts down. Mm-hmm. Uh, pulling shorts down is some form of humiliation, whatever. Apparently, that <laughs> they thought it was funny, right? I never knew that. So many years later, I mean, you know, I just saw my GQ, this hundred best dressed uh, uh, image in GQ, and I'd, for some coincidence, the kurta I was wearing was exactly the same color as the shorts they ah. pulled down. So it's interesting. I never knew so many years ago that this bullied ch- person is now going to be this, and it's it's a matter of. I mean, it's 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 very it's fun. It means so, that you so, know. So you have to answer this. So, where do you get all these amazing <laughs> bags and bow ties? And where does the like? Do you have somebody who kind of customizes? No, no, I do you? it all myself. So I do wow. all my. I I actually buy textiles. Most of my clothes are made. Oh, these are not like bought no. from a store. These are all no. made. Most of them are made. I also have incredible designers in India and around the world who make things for me. So. Um, I think we are blessed to be in India where we can get anything manufactured but not just manufactured I mean so I often know where my textile is woven I often know then so what are you wearing right now let's go to that yeah oh this is Ikat this is from Hyderabad it's an, it's an Ikat fabric from Hyderabad the okay. pants are from Akhadi wow I bought the fabric from Khadi I only Bandar. know it is red in color <laughs> yeah. that is my my definition of fashion yeah. but yeah, yeah you can even name every button and where the button is so I buy my button separately too I mean that's oh. the thing yeah <laughs> Well, so that's everything is everything is custom made. But I'm saying so one doesn't know. I didn't know at that time. I was very angry as a young person who is being bullied. I mean, you know, you wonder will my life amount to much? Will the bullies win? Um, so it was just I just felt very happy seeing my picture, and you know, I dressed flamboyantly, and I was very happy that I haven't that society, life, people didn't squash my flamboyance and my spirit out of me. All these years later, at 42, I'm still wearing that same color. And now I'm being um, honored for it <laughs> as a stylish person. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the that's yeah. the amazing part, right? That you need to believe. You should not yeah. change for others. I yeah. think the problem is yeah. a lot of people change yeah. because of what they believe. Yeah. Others are thinking yeah. you didn't. And that's yeah. why you are the style icon. Yeah. So what I want to do in future is to keep that spirit. Of keep that spirit um, of honoring that person that I was so many years ago. Remembering that hurt, but also remembering that out of that came resilience. Um, so to keep that resilience going in whatever I do in future, uh, and use it as a platform to use wherever I am as a platform to bring about more change. Now that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So talking about fashion, uh, who are your favorite designers? I know you de- most <laughs> you design most of the stuff yourself, but outside of that, so there's in designers in India whom I absolutely love. Um, uh, they're actually from different parts of the country. So there's Kalol Datta in Calcutta, 
who's absolutely brilliant, very avant-garde, very futuristic. Um, he's not just a clothes designer. He is an artist. He makes lights. He makes magazines. He makes sculptures. So he is an artist. Wow. So I have clothes by him. I have sculptures by him. For example, mm-hmm. uh, I love that. Um, there is, uh, in terms of fashion, there's Shrija Jeevan in Kochi. Mm-hmm. Again, who works very much with Kerala cottons, mundus, etc., and makes beautiful things. Um, there's uh, there's Manish Arora, whom I like for his flamboyance. Um, there's uh, Abraham and Thakur in Delhi, uh, again who do fun stuff. There's Ragini Auja in Delhi as well. Uh, there's a bunch of actually incredible young Indian designers who are creating their own uh, vocabulary, their own aesthetic. Uh, there's Neha Arora in Calcutta as well. They work. I mean, if you look at all their clothes, um, it's not Indian, Indian in terms of an ethnic. Uh, but it's, 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 not, it's modern. It's very global. Yeah. I mean, it could be anywhere, but it could be Indian in, in a touch or in a wink a or button, in a reference or, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very exciting. Uh, but I have to say that, I mean, a lot of the designers that I commission or work with to make things for me uh, happen to be women's wear designers. Because I think menswear designers in this country absolutely suck. Uh, um, so either make my own stuff or work with womenswear designers to make things for me. Well, that that's that's quite an art again, right? You're a man of many, many talents. Yeah. When it comes to food, what yeah. are your choices there? Oh, I absolutely love Japanese food. My I love uh, Japanese food yeah. too. I go to Tokyo secretly yeah. only to eat sometimes Japanese food. Correct. And <laughs> sometimes it's cheaper than going to Wasabi. <laughs> yeah, Wasabi is very expensive. Um, average meal is 15,000 bucks yeah. there, man. I don't know what yeah. they're giving you. It's Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But I like Japanese food also because when I was in... I mean, uh, when I was in Boston at MIT, yeah, I was in a relationship with someone who happened to be Japanese. So in a sense, eating Japanese food has been very interesting. So what are your favorite Japanese dishes? I actually like katsu. I like donkatsu very much. Oh, if you okay. like katsu. Yeah, I know I have katsu, yeah. <laughs> I like shabu shabu. Have you tried okonomiyaki? Yes, I have. I have I on the streets okonomi. of Tokyo. On I the love streets. okonomiyaki. Actually, yeah. people who think, you know, Japanese food is all about sushi yeah. and sashimi yeah. are missing out the real Japanese yeah. food. There is so much more to Japanese yeah. So food. there was a stall on the streets outside our home uh, in Tokyo when, when we were there once and then we would have it uh, <laughs> as we passed by. So yeah. Um, I also actually like simple stuff. I like miso soup. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, like it's... And what about so the Sindhi simple. food? The Sindhi in you, you like the... I love Sindhi food. I, I love food. The Sindhi... The yeah. Sindhi... Uh, uh, the Sindhi Kadi, right? So yeah. Sindhi Kadi is very good with rice and bundi yeah. and like papar and all of that. I like that. And in Chembur, there is this vidge who has this amazing pakwan, dal pakwan so, man. Yeah, so there's a vidge in, in Vancouver also. Oh, I've been there. Right? <laughs> yeah, at the TED, we all go Vancouver, there, right? But yeah. the vidge in, yeah. in Sindhi camp, especially so the camp I'm, area. You know, here I have to like pull out my Kulaba card and say uh, Kailash Parvat's pakwan better. dal is better. And no, no, no. <laughs> I, I can no, I can have a bet on that. That yeah. Sindhi camp... Has the best food as far as... So Sindhi. let's... We should go to both yeah. and then... Let's try. do that. We okay, let's have that as one of yeah. our quests after yeah. that. But I think Sindhi food, there's also unrated stuff. There's bee, which is lotus root. Oh, yeah, uh, of course I have. Yeah, which I've is had so amazing. Um, when cooked well and beautifully. And Sai Bhaji. And Sai Bhaji, of course, which everyone makes wonderfully. But of course, my mother makes the best. Absolutely. Uh, and you should never tell the Sindhi boy that, you know... <laughs> Who's ever Sai Bajo eating is and better than his mother's. Uh, yeah. There's this uh, 
leftover food also. I don't know what's it called. Sale money or sale. Yeah, sale. It's sale, called correct. sale. Yeah. 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 It's like you next day you are supposed to You have it the next day you mix everything with roti and etc and eat it and it's very much like a kattu paratha of yeah. uh, that you'll have in other parts of like No Sireisha, I mean you know, yeah. Sindhi and Punjabi yeah, Lanka, that way yeah. is very uh, yeah. similar in that sense yeah. in terms of I must say I don't like most Punjabi food in restaurants oh, actually yeah. I hate Indian food in restaurants which which aims to tries to be too Indian much food. butter too much butter Yeah I love um, um I love South Indian food I love food ah. from Kerala especially So have you uh, been to Manis Manis has now moved to Chembur from Matunga I've heard I haven't been Yeah so been. you have to come One there more visit. and of course uh, there is Madras Bhavan which is Yeah I do Madras Mysore all those I do yeah. those regularly the Matunga ones Yeah but I also travel so since I travel a lot I go to Kochi I go to uh, I go to Trichy I go the, to Kodikode every year I love yeah. the the red rice yeah. of Kerala yeah. man That for example, kori kot, kori kot food is very different from what you would get in in, in Kochi, for yeah. example. The kori kot biryani is very different. Is very yeah. different from the, the Hyderabad biryani, for example. Kerala and, biryani, and, yeah, yeah, which I love. So, so yeah. yeah, so you are an I'm absolute a foodie. foodie huh? Yeah, so, I'm a rustic. I'm an aesthete. Ah. So foods, clothes, um, beauty. I collect art. So it's art, everything. And music yeah. also, I presume. Music over the years, unfortunately, I've become only Bollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so which is the, the latest others. number running in your head um you won't believe it and i'm very uh, embarrassed but it's the soundtrack of sony ke titu ki sweet <laughs> what is that song i know with there is a yeah, there's a with, very catchy song it deals with bums <laughs> now you're going to say that's so gay it's bum diggy diggy bum 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 diggy yeah i know it is on my so, playlist too yeah, yeah. it is yeah. one of those songs i just can't get it out Um yeah I have to blame my 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 boyfriend for this completely <laughs> So and which are your favorite places you've been traveling to you like travel literally all over the world right with this Yeah so we were in Sri Lanka recently yeah, Gaul, we went Gaul, Gaul recently yeah. which is which is very very beautiful Um we actually like I mean I like traveling all over the world but over the years I've really appreciated traveling in India more Same so here. I love Landor. Yeah. yeah, I love Bhubaneswar. You been to Ladakh? No, I want to go to Ladakh. You have to go to Ladakh. Man. Oh God, it's yeah. possibly the most beautiful place on earth. Yeah. And Pangong Lake. Yeah. Oh God. But you need a couple of days for yeah, that. Yeah. To acclimatize. Yeah, you need to first acclimatize, yeah. being yeah. in Leh. And given the way my life is, most of our travel is like two or three days. Oh. <laughs> so we do. So you need at least a week there. Yeah. Yeah. So when we get a week, we do Ladakh. But until then, we really enjoyed. Uh, I mean, stuff like Golden Temple in Amritsar. I mean, yeah, it's so beautiful, so beautiful to do, and yeah. the sukoon you get there is amazing. And the um, food, the langar, yeah, yeah. Um, I particularly like uh, Orissa. I like Bhubaneswar. I, I like going to Konark. No. Uh, one of my most, again, joyous trips was going to Tanjore, Tanjore, uh, where uh, Ranveer Shah, a friend, runs the Festival of Sacred Music. which is 3 days uh, every february wow. and the concerts are held in temples in abandoned um, palaces on the banks of the river imagine thousands of diyas lit wow <laughs> music playing hundreds of people i mean it's magic i mean we wow. have all of this we have lived culture in india these are not museums these, yeah, are, these are real yeah. so when there's a concert happening in a temple the bells are ringing in the temple next door <laughs> because it's a live temple um so just to discover that magic and to appreciate that we are part of an ancient lived civilization is so special so i'm yeah and how do you unwind um reading and netflix <laughs> ah so what are you watching on netflix now 
I'm re-watching House of Cards by <laughs> because I'm anticipating Wild the next Wild season. Country. Have you seen that? I haven't seen Wild oh, Wild Country. Oh God, man, man. Yeah, this yeah. Rajneesh is yeah. a yeah. But oh, I become God. obsessed with since I love fashion so much. I'm seeing a lot of fashion documentaries. Oh, there are lots. Of so them. I love Dries. Um, I just finished Dries. I'm seeing um, you know the one about the Vogue Fashion Fund. Uh, so I yeah, I do a lot. Um, but I also, I mean, I also unwind. I, I uh, I'm a big fan of dusting. <laughs> dusting. Yeah. So I unwind by dusting all my art. Ooh. <laughs> so. So you have a special duster for that? Yeah, I have different dusters and for like, different kinds. It takes of... me two hours to three hours to How dust. How big is your collection, art. man? I have to come and see. Yeah, it. you should come and see it. Yeah. Wow. So you've been collecting I for put a long on, time. Huh? I put on my Amazon Alexa. <laughs> I tell her what I want, and while the music is playing, I'm dusting, and that's like to me meditation. It's wow. a close second is ironing clothes, but I prefer dusting my art. Hmm. Wow, that's a, very... that's a good way to unwind. <laughs> and by the way, uh, apparently dusting and even doing household chores yeah, yeah, yeah. is one of the best ways to to yeah. unwind. Actually, a lot yeah. of people do that. I'm very like uh, Gharelu and like a good housewife at home <laughs> I Man, can do it all <laughs> you are the Gharelu housewife who's changing the world at the same time that's yeah. the difference um, books which you recommend of course a- apart from your own book which everybody should read yeah. Gay Bombay yeah. uh, what is the other book you recommend so there's I mean I love the city so much so I have a I mean for anyone who is in Bombay or wants to know about Bombay there's three books I recommend about Bombay one is Gay Bombay to look at sexuality and technology um, the other is an amazing history of Bombay it's called Mumbai Fables it's by a Princeton historian called Gyan Prakash mm. who also incidentally wrote the screenplay for I mean wrote the story for Bombay Velvet uh-huh. um, which Anurag made as a film So, but I think Mumbai Fables is amazing because it tells you the history of Bombay and nine it's like this Noir, fast-paced, sexy telling of history. I mean, history has never been so cool. Wow. Um, and you really get to understand what made us who we are, whether it's the Nanavati case, whether it's, you know, the different kind of land grabs. Um, and, and the so food, on. maybe the food of Bombay, right? Yeah. So no, there's no food in this, but it's it's an incredible book at the history of what. Okay. And so much of what we are today, our nature is because of the stuff that's we've been for the past 200 years. Another amazing book is called Beyond the Beautiful Forevers. It's by Catherine Boo. And it's about life. She spent about 15 years uh, observing life in a Bombay slum. 15 years? Yeah, she spent a lot of time. And so this it won wow. the Pulitzer Prize. Um, so to understand Bombay, I think we need to understand our history. We need to understand informal settlements because slums make up more than 50% of yeah, our people. Yeah. And I need to be need to understand desire, which you can understand through my book. So that's three for Bombay. I think in terms of your own life, um, uh, I think Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt has been really amazing where he speaks about how really happiness is uh, a function of your genes, but also very much of your circumstances and then choice. Uh, Exactly what Sheena talks about (laughs) in her own book in that sense. I think it's very, very important to understand you can't control your genes, uh, but but you you can can put yourself in certain situations or not. And in whatever situation you are, you can control what you can do about it. Um, so I think it's incredible um, if you are dealing with uh, any kind of confusion, if you have mental health issues, if you have anything, I think it's wonderful to read. Of course, you go to a professional, but if you want to read it's something book, to understand yeah. that, you should really read uh, The Happiness Hypothesis. Um, it's really changed my life and made me believe that I always want to gravitate towards the light, not towards darkness. 
uh, and I think you really want to work on yourself and purpose, which is something that I've been doing a lot. Um, then there's True North by Bill George. Um, it's very simple. It's, I mean, this course I did at Harvard's Kennedy School was fundamentally based on it. On this book. Yeah, but it essentially tells you about how you, I mean, True North is the direction in which the compass points, right? Yeah. And it tells you how to look at your life and to find your True North. And how everything else then you do after that Doesn't should matter. be... Yeah, it's all no, it should be towards one direction. Yeah, towards that. Wow. Not the boy band, but... Yeah. The, no, but do not... Uh, the purpose. Very, very interesting way to look yeah. at this. Um, so I think that's very, very useful. Uh, and what is the last gadget you bought, which is less than 10,000, which you use every day? <laughs> uh, not your phone. We know your no, phone no, is no, uh, not. not less than 10,000. No, uh, the last... Um, I actually gadget, bought yeah. well a gadget could be anything. So in Sri Lanka, I bought my my partner a pair of really wonderful handcrafted wooden sunglasses. Wooden sunglasses. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so wow. That's a gadget, uh, and we use it. And <laughs> yeah, wooden sunglasses. Well, and yeah. is there a brand, or you could just go? Um, and f- it was at Paradise Road, this artisanal store in Colombo, and they stock mostly a bunch of amazing uh, Sri Lankan uh, artisanal <laughs> products. So it was from there. <laughs> Okay, and uh, if you were given a time machine and you could either go in the past or the future, yeah, uh, where will you go and what would you do? Um, so I would go, <laughs> I mean, this is interesting. I would really, uh, I, think, I think the point of India's independence is very interesting. I think given the people that were around, whether it's Ambedkar, um, whom I admire so much, uh, whether it's Nehru, whether it's Jinnah, whether it's right. They had to make some tough choices. They had to make some tough choices. Uh, so th- I think I would go into that moment. Into uh, the past in the partition. Yeah, or partition or pre-partition. Because there's a bunch of things that happened in terms of rights, right? I mean, one is the partition of the country, which led to so much misery. Um, but I mean, but the second also was the fact that I mean, say the tension between Nehru and Ambedkar and the, the constitution being written, um, an incredible constitution being written, but then the disappointment of Ambedkar um, with the Congress party after that and everything else that happened. I think that moment, I mean, you know, partition, constitution, that moment um, is such a significant moment. I don't know if I want to change it, but I want to observe it and I want to like maybe with the wisdom of hindsight tell them that other worlds are possible and, you know, please really be careful about what you're doing now because, you know, 70 We are suffering later, the consequences now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think working really with uh, and trying to create a more equal India and we could have done it at that moment. I mean, we did it at the constitutional level and that but is the greatness of, of Baba Sahib Ambedkar. But unfortunately, we let that we, we let that vision down, and we let that constitution down every day. We don't honor it in practice. So yeah. to go at the moment where you could, and finally, since you are already working on your yeah. legacy, yeah. what do you want to be remembered as? Um, I want to be remembered as uh, a fabulous sex bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're already <laughs> because, there. Um, because you're already there, I guess. Yeah, I think that's very important. I think <laughs> one of the things if I've learned is to be light about stuff. Um, you can be very serious. <laughs> and I don't want to be remembered for anything. I want to be remembered completely for my uh, for my 
for my fabulous personality and my and my and your amazing and my, fashion you're already and my amazing, the style and my amazing uh, fashion collection <laughs> <laughs> so if there's to be a museum of parmesh it'll be with my clothes and accessories well all i can tell you is i'll be the first person in that museum parmesh it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure i learned so many new things it was so Thank much you. fun talking to you man i think we can go for hours and hours i think of we course. cannot stop but yeah. right now what we are going to do is going to get you back here because there is so much more you're doing yep. uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show Parish. thank you and i really enjoyed being on it and thank you so much as you can see we have a podcast listener in his natural habitat millions of years of evolution have led him to this point he's on his way to work and listening to podcasts makes his miserable day better He will now head to work and use all his knowledge to communicate with other colleagues and possibly future mates. You can find more of his species on ivmpodcasts.com, your one-stop destination where you can check out all the coolest Indian podcasts. Happy listening.